0: Right now, it's Barry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio.
1: I have got the million dollar question. Do you know what the million dollar question is?
0: So if you ask it and I answer it, I get a million dollars? Is that what you're saying? It is
1: worth a million dollars. Okay, all right. You're not going to get a million dollars. Imaginary. I believe that this one question, once answered, if answered, could completely transform your life. Okay, right. you ready? Yep. What are you so afraid of?
0: Okay, let me start my list here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the question. What are you so afraid of? Honestly, I believe there is a there's so much power behind this question. Not really the question, but if you're willing to be honest and genuinely answer the question, I think that what is revealed could be like earth-shattering mm-hmm. and life-changing. It was for me. I had actually okay. a really good friend who asked me this question. At a time when I didn't want to be asked the question, I was paralyzed by fear. I knew the right thing to do. I wasn't doing the right thing. I wasn't moving forward and stepping into it. He knew what the right thing for me to do was. I knew what the right thing for me to do was, but I was paralyzed. And so this really good friend of mine said, what are you so afraid of? And it was answering that question that like, Speaking it out loud even just made my heart beat faster and just, you know, just coming to a clarity about this is the thing that I'm so afraid of and at the moment I was afraid that if I did the right thing I would lose everything that mattered to me. It was a stinking big deal. I'm not going to go into that story, but the question, the question itself rocked my world. There was another time that this question got asked that it was earth-shattering by another good friend. And some of his buddies. So he's in the middle of this really good nap when this storm comes up out of nowhere and his buddies start freaking out. And they woke him up and immediately they start accusing him. I'm not even caring about the fact that they're about to die. And then he asked them the million dollar question. This is the question that changed my life. What are you so afraid of? They knew that Jesus was with them. I think they just didn't know fully what he was capable of doing. Can you relate to that? I mean, you know that God's with you in the storm. You know all the scriptures. You know Psalm 23, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I won't be afraid because you're with me. You know it. But maybe you're just not convinced of what God can do about it. I want to share with you some verses that might change your opinion. Think about it for a second though. What are you so afraid of? Like don't skip the fact that this is personal. And answer that question personally for yourself. Jude 24 says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That's what God is able to do. He's able to keep you from stumbling. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work.
0: Okay, you got to give me some time to say, come on.
1: Come on. That's what <laughs> I, our God can do. I'm loving this. I'm just getting started.
0: Okay. Give me, give me a little space between these verses here. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: 2 Timothy one twelve. Perry LeHay, are you ready yes. to ingest this?
0: <laughs> yes. I, All will, right. I will gorge myself on it.
1: Think about what you're afraid of. And now listen to this. I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him.
0: That's what I'm talking about.
1: Can I keep going? Sure All right, Acts 20:32. Now I commit to you, I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build up build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Wow, I really wrestled with that one. Let's do it again. Acts 20:32. now I commit to you, I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's what God can do. Philippians 3:21. By the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Everything but the thing that freaks you out? No. Everything. Everything. The power that enables him to bring everything under his control. And Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. This is what our God can do. We're freaking out about life. We're freaking out about that relationship. Can it be restored? What's going to happen? What about my future? What about my life? What about my job? What about what's next? What about this afternoon? What about that lunch? What about that conversation?
0: What about if the worst thing does actually happen? Yep. God's got it. I mean, God has it. We'll lament, we'll grieve, but we'll also resurrect.
1: So that was the thing with this question when my friend asked me, you know, what are you so afraid of? And I actually answered it and I went, uh, I felt so vulnerable when I spoke out the words like I could lose everything that matters to me. And in great wisdom, my friend didn't say that will never happen. Of course, you're going to be fine. It's going to be good. No, my friend said. That is a possibility. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it killed me right there. But I'm so glad that we had that conversation because. I had to answer the question, what then? What then? Mm -hmm. And the answer to the question was, I will be safely in the arms of Jesus. Right. I mean, that's the answer. Worst case scenario, that's the end for those of us who believe.
0: I think of the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in ancient, I think it was Babylon, and they wouldn't bow down to the king, and the king was furious. He was going to throw him in the fire. He said... You know, our God is able to deliver us, but mm-hmm. even if he doesn't, I'm going, we're, we're not yeah. going to bow down. To That's
1: you. Right. So here's the thing. I think it's so important that we, this is why we worship. This is why we sing. This is why we read scripture about all of who God is. So it gets pressed into our heart, who God is, that he is the God who is able. And it's, I mean, that is faith building in and of itself, knowing that God is able, but you take the fact that God is able and you make it personal about the thing that you're afraid of, listen to this. The God who is able, this is what he says to you and to me this morning, Isaiah 41:13. For I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. So don't be afraid this morning. The God who is able is here. He's your God. He loves you and he's here to help you. We have Dana Gresh with us this morning. I know you know Dana. She's the best-selling author, speaker, and founder of True Girl, which is formerly Secret Girl Secret Keeper Girl. She's America's most popular Christian which is America's most popular Christian tween event? She has authored over 20 books, including And the Bride Wore White and Lies Girls Believe. And she's here with us this morning to talk about her brand new book. It's called Mary Becoming a Girl of Faithfulness. It is a Bible study for moms and young girls.
0: Hey, Dana, good morning. Glad to have you with us.
2: Good morning. My pleasure.
0: Yeah, so Mary Becoming a Girl of Faithfulness, this is for moms and tweens, which is like eight to 12, and it's the story of Mary. So tell us the inspiration behind writing Mary Becoming a Girl of Faithfulness. What's the central message? What are you trying to get through to tweens?
2: I guess first I should say uh, the motivation is our girls are in crisis. Um, never in the history of ever have tweens, eight to 12 year olds been in the crosshairs of the enemy. You know, we've seen teenagers be on the front lines of the battle for decades, right? But now we have these little girls, eight to 12 year olds in the middle of this gender experiment, Mm -hmm. this doomed gender experiment where the weapons are pronouns and puberty blockers. We have what many intellectually honest sociologists are saying is the makings of 10 to 20 years from now, a generation that is in absolute mental health fallout. And so um, my motivation in working with these 8 to 12-year-old girls is that we not only equip them to not fall prey to these incredible lies, I mean, just nonsensical. What's happening right now in our culture, you do not have to be ashamed when you sit at a dinner table and the conversation comes up and you say, you know, I think when I'm talking to someone and they want to be called a plural pronoun, that that doesn't, it's not logical. And so, I mean, but it's incredibly confusing for an eight or 10 year old. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I want to be there on the front lines with them. I want to tell them, what truth is. That doesn't mean we have to talk about the counterfeits always, but we have to be so girding them and rooting them in biblical truth that the confusion is at bay. And in 10 and 20 years, when the mental health fallout is here, they're on the front lines as the rescuers. Mm. That's what motivates me.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, the, they're really getting the message. You get to decide what truth is. Truth. Truth is mm-hmm. you're the holder of truth, which is a huge responsibility that would terrify me at eight, nine, 10 years old. Right. Like I'm responsible for my own truth. And so this book about Mary and her faithfulness, I got to believe that a part of that story and a part of the study is there's a truth that exists outside of yourself that you don't have to actually figure all that stuff out on your own. There is a place
2: rock solid you can go to. And it's so much more comforting to go to the Lord, to go to Jesus and be like, what is truth? Who am I? Who are you? Who is the world? Um, Making it up on our own is confusing. But when you become faithful, To what God says is true, there's so much peace in that. And Mary did that. You know, nobody really ever thinks about the fact that Mary probably had life plans, right? Yeah. She probably had like figured out what she wanted to do with her life, what she was good at. Um, She knew she was going to be marrying to Joseph. She knew that she was going to be a wife and a mom. But then an angel shows up. I mean, think about that, and says, "Hey, different plan." And she says, "Yes, Lord." Okay, let's do this. Yeah. What if we did that? What would our world look like if we raise women of faithfulness, if we became women of faithfulness and men too?
1: And Dana, you have the opportunity. You're out there. I mean, these girls, they're your girls, they're your wheelhouse. You're having stories, you're meeting them face to face, you know what's going on in their lives. What are some of the personal stories, like the personal experiences that led you to writing Mary Becoming a Girl of Faithfulness?
2: Well, it really was just um, seeing so many of them start to get confused about building their own truth and thinking that the the world's mantra that you can be whatever you want, whoever you want, however you want. That's really not true. God's word tells us that we were created for his pleasure and his glory, not our own glory. And in my own life, when I've lived for my own glory, I have found that that is a hollow well, a a an empty cistern, a cracked well. It's not fulfilling. Um, but when I live my life to glorify Jesus, when I live my life in obedience to the Lord, I find my day is just better. Like this morning I got up, you know, you guys have an early wake up call. I got to tell you, you're a little insane, (laughs) but I got up an extra hour early anyway to spend time with the Lord. And when I orient my life around him, it's good. And when I orient my life around me, it's a striving And the world is telling our girls every day, orient your life around you, your thoughts, your desires, what you want. And God's word tells us that when we orient our lives around him and and are faithful to that, that there is incredible pleasure in that. And so I want to teach these girls what the world is the counter, the counter truth. Well, The world doesn't have a truth, the the truth to counter the lies of the world, that if they get into the word of God and discover who he is, they will understand better who they are, but not make too much of themselves. Mm -hmm. What a grand thought.
0: Yeah. Dana, you've written this brand new book for eight to 12 year olds, Mary, Becoming a Girl of Faithfulness. And how can this particular Bible study help ground an eight to 12 year old in the truth that is true, really true. Yeah.
2: Well, first of all, the, the anytime you're in the word, the word doesn't return void, right? That's right. And I don't know if as you're listening, did you have time in the word today? I was blessed just listening to you read Psalm 130 a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Like my soul stood at attention and my heart felt different and my spirit relaxed and relaxed into that piece of it. And the fact is, though, we're not teaching our children at a young age to be in the word. When I wrote a book called Lies Girls Believe about uh, five years ago, I did a survey of 1500 church-going tween girls. And only about 30% of them were learning the habit of being in the word on a daily basis. 70% were not. And so I said, well, why? Ask the moms, why aren't your daughters learning that habit? It's the most important habit they can never learn, but is saying thank you and brushing their teeth. And they said, well, there aren't really age appropriate tools. Mm-hmm. So me and my team started developing those tools and Mary becoming a girl of faithfulness is just one of those tools. But if they'll, the Bible says, if you, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Mm-hmm. But the verse before that says, if you abide in my word, you mm-hmm. will know the truth and the truth mm-hmm. will set you free. Mm-hmm. We have got to get our children in the word, not entertaining them at church, not babysitting them at church, but reading the word, studying the word, meditating on the word, memorizing the word and abiding in it. And through that, they're going to be able to live in freedom in this world that is just contagious with lies that will put them in bondage.
0: Well, we see a lot of deconstructing of faith in today's culture And I think that there is some legitimacy. I've had to deconstruct some of my faith. I think that, you know, when you grow up in a culture, there's stuff that gets stuck to your faith that's not part of your faith. And so there is a good side to deconstructing, but we don't want to deconstruct to the place where there's nothing left. And so my, my thought is that I wonder if some of the deconstructing that is going on is that we taught our young kids that Christianity is about being a virtuous person, about being a moral person. Mm-hmm. Certainly it's not you know, less than that, but it's way more than that. And it starts with the gospel and the beauty of Jesus and the fact mm-hmm. that there's nothing we can do to earn his love and that Christianity is not about being a moral person, about being good enough to get God to love you. I just wonder, I'm wondering out loud, is that part of why some of the deconstructing is going on?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, from the very beginning, uh, Adam and Eve were told, don't eat that tree, right? And then when she starts talking to the snake, she adds a rule, Mm -hmm. um, or he does, they start talking about, oh, she can't even touch it. Or she'll die. Right from the very beginning, we have legalism. Right, right from the very beginning, we have something worthy of deconstructing. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. let's go back to what God actually said. And so we're really good at adding to God's word with traditions and rules. And you know, when it came to um, these tween girls, the eight to twelve year olds, I did a study a few years ago, and I was saying, "Do you know God loves you?" And they were so quick to say yes; they knew God loved them. Mm-hmm. But then I'd say. When when you go to school, does God love you? When you are reading your Bible, does God love you? When you go to church, does God love you? When you're with your brother and sister, does God love you? And then when, when you sin, does God love you? And they were very quick when the word sin came up to say no. Mm-hmm. They doubted God's love when they sinned. And I really do think that one of the problems with deconstructing right now is that we're not acquainting our kids with a love relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like he loves you. He's mm-hmm. crazy about you. He, You are the apple of his eye. That means that if you could see his eye, you would see your image reflected back in the pupil of his eye. Mm-hmm. That's what it means that you are the apple of his eye. And so we really do have have to when we're raising our kids not just teach them to obey god but to know that they're loved by him
0: mm-hmm. you know one of the things dana that that i take from my teenage years that were really rocky in terms of my following Jesus was that I experienced the presence of God. I experienced Mm -hmm. the love of God. The gospel wasn't necessarily communicated to me really clearly, but I experienced the Holy spirit. And so when I went to a secular college and I began to hear secular humanism, I just Mm -hmm. thought there's no way this is true. I've experienced God. I've experienced the gospel.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's like, you know, When I spend time with the the Lord in the morning, I am amazed. It takes me 20 or 30 minutes in till I stop thinking about my stress and my to do list. But when I finally feel the presence of the Lord, it's not that He's not there the whole time. Right. But when I finally get disconnected enough from this world to connect to Him, Mm. He is so real in that moment that it fuels me through the rest of the day. And the point of getting our kids to study the Word or pray or spend time with god is not to study the word and pray and spend time in god's word it's to experience him Mm -hmm. and we've got to get them in that place where they experience him so that it's real so that when they do hear the counterfeits they don't make any sense
1: So Dana, we have, you know, we've got young people in our life. We've got these tween girls mm-hmm. in our lives. And so for the mama, for the the grandma, the mentor, you know, maybe it's yeah. a teenage girl who's got an eight-year-old or a little sister or something. We've got a tween in our life that we just want them, we want them to be girls who are faithful to God. What do you yeah. say to us as mentors today that we could pass on to these girls? What's the most important thing that we even are in their lives as they walk through mm. this season.
2: So if they come out knowing um, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, get in the word with them. They don't know how to do it. They've never done it before. Someone taught you how to do it and they need to be taught how to do it. So um, we actually have an online Bible study coming up based on Mary Becoming a Girl of Faithfulness. Uh, we teach our 4Z method of Bible study, which is sort of a simplified inductive method of Bible study. It's We zoom in, we zoom out, we zero in on what it means for us, and then we zip it up in prayer. Mm-hmm. So it's just like teaching them an age appropriate way to take a passage of scripture and really just digest it for themselves. But You know, if they're eight or nine or 10, they probably can't do that on their own. If they're 11 or 12, they could come to my Bible study and get through it. But it's so much better if someone's guiding them through it. So, um, in fact, uh, it starts in October, but I have a a code, a revive our hearts listeners code that saves 20% off. So if you go to my true girl.com and register for the Bible study for you and your favorite tween, you can save 20% by just putting in the code R O H or revive our hearts, but get in the word and then live it out with them. You know, as I was studying Mary, um, one of the things that really stood out to me is a faithful girl worships when she feels like whining. So what does Mm -hmm. Mary do when she finds out, she says, yes, Lord, I'm going to be the mother of the savior. Okay. Whatever your plan is knowing this means, um, I could be stoned, right? So this was not an easy thing that Mary was saying yes, Lord, to. And she runs off to her friend, Elizabeth, her cousin, Elizabeth. Um, What does she do? She sings. She worships. She doesn't whine. And we live in such a victim culture right now. Mm. Um, And gosh, trauma is real. Bad things are real. But also, we have to to decide if we're going to be the victim or the victor. And Mary exemplifies for us that when you feel like whining, that's not what you choose. Mm. It doesn't mean you don't grieve for a moment. It doesn't mean you don't say what's real. It doesn't mean you don't speak the truth about your circumstances, but you rise up and you worship. What if we were like Mary and our granddaughters and our daughters saw that and we worshiped instead of whining? Wow. Mm. Walking Mm. it out. Sometimes it's better caught than taught, isn't it?
0: One of the huge reasons I'm following Jesus is because I experienced a physical healing when I was 18. I believe God works miracles, but I have experienced way more hardships and troubles and trials and sufferings than I have miracles. Heaven has broke into my life, but we're not home yet. We're still waiting for Jesus to come and make all the sad things true. We've tasted heaven But on this side of the kingdom fully come, we're not exempt from suffering, but we have an amazing opportunity to show our suffering world, and our world isn't broken. We have an amazing opportunity to show our suffering world how to suffer well, to show that suffering is not meaningless. I think most people think, outside of faith, that suffering is meaningless. When we suffer well, we give the world a window into hope. Mm-hmm. My friend, Rod Van got me thinking of Job and how to suffer well. Job's suffering started when he lost all his wealth. He was a very rich man. He lost it all. Then suffering buried him with the loss of his children. Then he lost his health. Only his wife was not taken from him. And she said, Job, why do you still trust God? Why don't you curse him and die? Thank you very much. Job lamented massively. He wrestled and argued and complained and screamed out why to God. And even in this, Job shows us how to suffer well because God can handle it. Mm. And God wants us to wrestle with him. And God wants us to cry out to him and pour out our heart to him. And I think of Jesus in the garden, you know, just saying, just sweating drops of blood and and just in agony and saying, Father, Father, if there's any way that I can redeem the world other than the cross, show me that way, but not my will, but your will be done. So we see just this honest, real authentic relationship with God in Job and of course in Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the the story of, of Jesus in the garden, you know, that part of his life when he was crying out to God and saying, if there's another way, you know, this is, of course, right before he was crucified. And he just said, if there is another way, Lord, I I would I want to do the other way. And the father said, you know, you're, no, you're going to walk through this. And so suffering was inevitable. And I know what it's like to cry out to God and ask the why question. Why is this happening? Like, I don't understand how this glorifies you. I don't understand how this makes sense. And there have been times in my life when he said, thank you for your input. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love you. But we are going to walk through this, and I'm going to walk with you through it. And there are some backgrounds that might question if that is, um, you know, that if you're not seeing the miracle or you're not seeing the breakthrough, that you just don't have enough faith. I would point them to Jesus' conversation with the Father in the garden. I mean, was Jesus lacking faith? Is that why he didn't get what he wanted? I don't think so. I think Jesus had perfect faith but God had a plan that he was working out and he was committed to the plan. And this was the only way for him to save you and me. So there are times in our suffering when being honest with God and being lamenting, lamenting with God is, is such an important part of vulnerability and relationship and being honest with him. But the lament isn't a formula for getting what we want.
0: What if a coworker or a classmate or somebody in your neighborhood is not a believer and they know you're really hurting and they know you're really suffering. First of all, that you would share that with them would be amazing. And then just sharing with them how you have a lot of questions. You don't have all the answers Mm -hmm. and it hurts, but I trust God.
1: Yeah. That's the witness right there, right? is like, I don't even know how this thing is going to shake down, but I know that my God is good and I am, I'm not going to walk away from him. I'm going to lean into him mm-hmm. harder than ever before and trust that, that he's got me. And, and they, these things are all going to work out.
0: That's it. Job gives us some other gems in his suffering as well. Job one He says, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Mm-hmm. And in this, I hear him saying, the reason I live, the reason I live is not for my comfort and my health and my wealth. And everything I have, although this hurts, this horribly hurts, but the reason I live is to worship God. I'm going to worship him, whether it's really hard or whether it's really great.
1: Yeah. And I think this challenges us because I know in my own life that comfort itself can be an idol. Sure. It can yeah. be a God. I just, same. I want peace. I want everyone to get along. And I just want everything to be okay. I want you to be okay with you and you to be okay with me and me and you to be okay. Shame. Like, I just want peace all the time. Yeah. And and that has been a God that has kept me from doing what my God wants me to do. Because mm. I think I'm, I'm, you know, keeping things all nice, nice.
0: Well, thanks for being honest, because then I don't have to be.
1: <laughs> you don't have to be honest? I don't
0: have to tell about, you know, the things that I try to make God in my life. No, that's, that's, that's so right. Then in chapter 13, Job says, another gem, God may kill me, but still I will trust him. And this, this just says, Job, Job believes that there's something greater than life itself. It's God. Mm-hmm. That it makes me think of, you know, so many passages. God, your love is better than life. If you try to save your life, you will lose it. If you lose your life for me you'll save it Mm -hmm. there's something worth more than my life itself
1: the pearl of great price
0: yeah yeah Yeah. it's the living God and Job was saying you know God may kill me but still I'll trust him because if he kills me if he allows me to die I he said it if he kills me if he kills me I know I'll see his face Mm So in Job 19, we see some gems of how Job is able to suffer. He gives us some gems in his suffering. In Job 19, Job says something staggering. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, He will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes, I and not another. In his suffering, he shares the hope of resurrection. This is very incredible because at this time, this is about the time of Abraham, and there weren't really many, there really weren't any indicators of the afterlife or even of resurrection. But Job, at this early place in God's story, is talking about the resurrection Mm -hmm. when you don't see it in any of the other biblical writers you know, as clearly as this. And Paul picks up on that in Acts when he says, you know, the resurrection has been the hope of our ancestors for a long, long, long time. And I think in his mind, he's probably thinking, yeah, Job was the first to really talk about it very clearly. Mm -hmm. And so out out of Job's suffering, what comes is this just natural expression that God is life, and even if I die, He's going to raise me up. And at the end of the book of Job, when God speaks, Job doesn't get answers to questions. He gets a baptism, an immersion into the infinite wisdom and goodness of God. And he says, as a response to that in chapter 42, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. We get more of God in suffering. We get to know Him. God is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And so we get to show a watching world that as we suffer, we get more life from our very God.
1: I feel like suffering kind of brings us to a crossroads where we have to choose, you know? Am I going to lean hard into God? Am I going to trust him? Am I going to believe him for everything he says is true? Or am I just going to jump ship and just do my own thing? Mm -hmm. And if we choose to press into the heart of God, he's so ready to reveal himself. I, I don't know so much that God... Shows himself more to us in the suffering. I think he's always willing to show himself. I just think we're more hungry for him in the suffering. Like we want it more. We need it. We recognize that we're not God Mm -hmm. and that we, we want to know him for who he is. And we want to cling on to what is true instead of just going through the motions of life. I know in my own life, that's what suffering has done. It has made me seek him more and want him more and be hungry and thirsty for him.
0: That's what it does. That's it right there. Suffering has meaning. The world doesn't think suffering has meaning. As we suffer well, we get to show them that suffering is a beautiful thing when God is right in the center of it. God through suffering, God turns our character into gold. And it's how we become perfected and pure and complete in Christ. And we have a God who is with us. Mm-hmm. We can show those watching our lives that we believe and know that god is with us they can they will be able to see that god is with
1: us yeah that's it right there like that is that is everything the fact that the god of the universe who he didn't just create everything and just you know send us off into space to just exist and keep in motion he's actively a part of our lives today he's mm-hmm. with us he's nearer than than we think you know of the time, he's right here right now.
0: Mm -hmm. So if you're suffering, I just encourage you, there's meaning, there's purpose. Stand firm, stand strong. Jesus is coming to set the world right. Keep that in your mind as you suffer. He's coming to set everything right. And no matter how deep you're suffering, the hope of seeing God's face is deeper still. That's your hope. Mm -hmm. And we have a guarantee of that future hope in us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. I just remind you, my sister in Jesus, my brother in Jesus, that God has poured his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. And that guarantees heaven.
1: God loves you so much and he's got really good plans for your life. I know we send that message to you. We speak those words to you and over you again and again, but I think that we need to hear it like on the daily. So not going to get tired of saying it. God loves you and he's got really good plans for you to send you into the world to impact this world with his kingdom ways. So just, oh my goodness, like, A week and a half ago now, I guess, The Send was right here in Grand Rapids. Now, The Send was this event that came. There were 10,000 people who gathered at Van Andel. It was amazing. But in the week coming up to that event, there were all kinds of different things you could participate in. And I went to the Friday night event. Francis Chan was supposed to speak, but he didn't make it. He had some travel issues and he didn't make it into town. We had an incredible night. And there were testimonies on this night. And these testimonies of these young people heading out into Grand Rapids to share who Jesus is were so cool. I just wanted to share a couple of them with you. One young woman stood up and said that there was a hot dog stand. They were giving away free hot dogs and she was just working the stand. And so um, a young woman came up to get a free hot dog and they weren't quite ready yet. So the gal sharing her testimony says, so she had to talk to me. So it was perfect. But um, she said, Somehow the subject of church came up, you know, and she said, do you go to church? And she said, yes. And she named the name of the church where she goes. And she said, what does your relationship with Jesus look like outside of church? And the gal kind of just stopped for a minute. She was like, I've never been asked that question before. And I'm not actually sure that I have a relationship outside of church with Jesus.
0: That's a question Jesus would ask. Yeah. It's a it's the question that, that gets to the heart of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this gal was kind of like, I just go to church. I don't have a relationship with Jesus outside of church. And and so she ended up, the hot dog gal ended up sharing the gospel with her and asked her, do you want to have a relationship with Jesus every day, all the time, you know? And she's like, yeah, I do. So this sweet girl gave her heart to Jesus. She came for a hot dog. All she wanted was a hot dog. She left with salvation, mm-hmm. eternal salvation. It's just a cool story of, of what's happening here in Grand Rapids.
0: Kind of like the woman who came for a drink. Yeah. we got a whole Walked lot Walked away with
1: living water. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's a pretty sweet deal right there. And then there was another testimony. A young gal was sharing how she was out with some friends and they were just wanting people to know the love of Jesus. And she saw this older gentleman who was walking with a walker and he looked like he was in a lot of pain. She struck up a conversation with him and asked him about his pain. And he started to tell her, yeah, I've got pain in my back. And she's like, well you know, would would it be okay if I prayed for your back and asked God to take that pain away? And he's like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So she prayed for his back and his pain went away in his back stood up a little bit taller. And then, you know, he kind of got excited. He was like, well, if this is how it works, let me tell you some other things that are going on. <laughs> he started to tell her about some of the things going on in his body and one at a time, like up to like seven, eight different things. She prayed for these individual things that were going on in his body and he received Relief. He received healing. He received, you know, it wasn't having pain there anymore, and and he just was he was giddy, giddy, excited about what God was doing. And she said, "Isn't this amazing? Isn't this wonderful?" And he's like, "Yes, I'm so grateful." And she goes, "Everything that God just did for you is completely temporary, because we're temporary, and this body of yours, you know, will fail. But there is a way to experience a healing from Jesus that that lasts forever." Would you like to experience eternal life? And she explained the gospel to him. And right then and there, he said, yes, I want everything that Jesus has for me. Isn't that awesome?
0: And I can relate to that so much because when I was 18, I experienced a physical healing, which changed the trajectory of my life to following Jesus. Because in the healing itself, God revealed his love for me when I was at my worst. And so that's that's how it's. That's how it's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. The healings are an expression of the love of God or an expression of the cross.
1: Yeah. Yeah. His power and his love demonstrated just in one swift move. (laughs) There's so many more stories that I could tell you, but God's just doing cool stuff in Grand Rapids and I wanted you to know about it. So this 10,000 people that gathered when they were there for the send, they heard the word they worship together and they were reminded that we are all called we're we're sent ones we're sent by God so whether you made it to the send or not if you did make it to the send this is just your little reminder but if you didn't make it to the send i want you to know that the spiritual climate in grand rapids is rising god's doing something awesome in our area and you are a sent one you're sent by God to change the world with his love so let's pray let's ask god Like what he's up to. God, what are you doing right now? And how can I join you? Thank him for the work that he's doing and then be willing to adjust your life to join him in what he's already doing in West Michigan. Isaiah 6, 8 says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. Thanks so much for listening. Questions or comments? Text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.